You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Phyllis Weiss-Hazaro, and she is a cross-generational voice within organizational leadership and multi-generational teams. She is president of Practice Development Council. She's also author of You Can't Google It, the compelling case for cross-generational conversations at work. So we're going to talk a little bit about multi-generational workplaces. We're going to talk about the effects of having multi-generations in the workplace working together. Incredibly important for service-based businesses. I'm excited for the conversation with that Phyllis, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. I'm really pumped for our conversation. Yeah. So why don't we start with a little bit of background on you and and how you got to be an expert, a voice for multi-generational workplaces and uh, the investigation of that. What was the background that led you to this path? Well, I can't tell this in 25 words or less, but let me put it this way. Um, I I practiced development counsel, which means marketing advice, from the days long ago when I started the firm, and it was considered with professional services to be unethical, unprofessional, and, you know, and, and illegal, actually, to do any marketing, business development, advertising, you know, any of that. But anyway, so that's that's where the name comes from, which doesn't sound like like a cross-generational conversation, but did. So I was working in business development and marketing, and I realized early on that why organizations of all kinds were not more effective than they were was how people interacted or didn't, often didn't. Yeah. And so I got involved in organizational effectiveness. And in about 1997, realizing that the younger people people were not getting the attention they needed from the senior people because the senior people were too busy, I started doing next generation programs, which were first focused on business development and marketing, and mm-hmm. then everybody takes their, brings themselves and their baggage to work. And so <laughs> we did, you know, get into that. And I started being the intermediary between senior management and everyone else who wasn't always getting the expectations that that senior management had, which I, I assume that they were talking to each other, but they thought they were articulating their expectations a little better. And so we started doing all of that. And I just got fascinated with everything generational. The other thing mm-hmm. is... It took me until a few years ago to realize what is the connection with my graduate work and first incarnation, as I said, I have a master's in urban planning. And it was because 
I did a lot of demographics work. And so Uh, there is a connection there that I've always been fascinated with the, the patterns and how things are connected and being a trend watcher. And as I say now, a uniter. Yeah, so interesting. I, I, um, my background is actually in architecture, uh, so similar kind of uh, discipline. And I always said that the, um, you know, as a as a business coach, as someone who helps solve kind of organizational uh, design problems, it's it's a similar kind of problem solving thinking. So I, uh, yeah. I can relate to the to the parallels. I was educated with a lot of architects and and engineers, but I, I you know, never did any of that or or had to as a government major undergraduate. But um, my my interest was on the people side, whether it's education, housing, all of the, you know, much more people oriented things. So let's let's step back and just kind of define generation for a little bit, because I think that's you know part of the challenge in this or at least part of part of understanding the complexity is understanding what do we mean by generation what defines a generation what defines the differences between generations so give us your kind of take or or the way that you you kind of see this kind of generation definition and, and how it feeds into the right. uh, work that you're doing. Well, I'm so glad you asked that because people are fixated on birth years and that's really not the definition, although it's kind of a crutch. Um, you know, we have to have some idea about, you know, approximately yeah. how people are, but shouldn't be rigid about that. Generations are really defined by the um, formative influences that people have while they're growing up. And, you know, in particular ages, probably more high school and college age than, you know, toddlers. But still people had those experiences. So what were the common things that were going on economically, politically, socially, culturally? And that's what, what brings people together in terms of generation. But there are other things that are also very strong influences. So you can have people who have the exact same birthday. But they were um, brought up in different geographic areas or from a very religious family or a very conservative family or more progressive. Uh, and, and that has a lot of influence. But the, but the things that we, we look to in defining the generations and the people who tend to make these definitions look to what were these formative influences that people have in common. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. So it's not, not so much the dates themselves, but rather that the things that occurred around them that kind of gave them values or gave them perspectives or priorities or the ways of kind of seeing the world. So let's, let's take you know, one example of a generation and what factors kind of go into forming that generation's makeup. And then, then we can kind of go through the, the generations that are in play today. So, so pick any one or pick one that, that is good illustration, and then we'll kind of deeper, we'll, we'll talk more generally about the different generations. All right. Well, we'll start with, I guess, the oldest that are in the workplace now. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, there are older, the traditionalists who are older than the boomers, um, but we'll, there, there are fewer of those. And so the boomers came at, in, a, in a time that was pretty optimistic. Okay. And 
So they tended to be much more optimistic than, for instance, the Gen Xers were, or at least the older end of those, who came into the workplace in a pretty bad recession, not as bad as the latest one, but Mm -hmm. pretty bad. And and so they had more trouble getting jobs and or were a lot of them overqualified for the jobs that they that they got. And it took a while. And in fact, the Xers were known as slackers at first. Uh, older ones and then they became very hard worker and I'm actually focusing on them a lot now because I think that they are neglected and you know much to the detriment of, of workplaces and and not only that advertisers I mean everything is boomers or, yeah. or millennials and I'm very much, as I say a uniter I'm all about cross-generational conversation. And I don't think that we should be focusing on any one, but that each of them need to understand the others to be able to attract and retain clients and employers and donors and alumni and yeah. you know, whatever, and to have more effective work teams and to figure out how they do their succession planning and their knowledge transfer. And instead of getting siloed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean if we want to So this, let's take the boomers. So what what were the factors or what were the world events, th- things that impacted right. boomers that gave them their optimism? Well, you know, the war was over, uh World War 2, which mm-hmm. influenced their parents an awful lot. Uh, we had so many changes in the 60s, which were, you know, really pretty dramatic. Uh-huh. And they were very much influenced by the Beatles. You know, they which is culturally a, a very important uh, thing there. And coming into the workplace, they accepted, in a way, the, what the traditionalists in their more conservative ways, we always did things like that. But there were more, a, a lot of them, at least in the, the older part, were, you know, rebels or, mm. you know, going to change things. But they were going to change things from the inside, you know, whereas... The millennials tended, because, and actually most of them have boomer parents, uh, but, you know, who taught them to question and to speak up and all of that. And so it was a different kind of thing. They, you know, came in, you know, hell-bent for changing how the workplace was going to be from day one and impatient about doing that. Got it. So so boomers... You know, that that kind of uh, post-World War, lots of change going on, generally strong economy, you know, all kind Mm -hmm. of buoyed their attitudes and their opinions and their view of the future. Um, Why don't we walk through? I just wanted to say one more thing. Because there were so many of them, you know, it was a baby boom, right? Yeah. Uh, Became very competitive and they became workaholics and and more competitive, especially the younger half. So that was a big influence, too, in how things were changing at work and how compensation systems changed and how they were being 
you know, evaluated in, in their performance. It's interesting. I hadn't thought of that, that, you know, the, the sheer size of that, that generation created that kind of competitiveness within, within the generation in terms of getting, I'm assuming this is around like getting promotions and advancement at work and professional opportunities. Like people are really, you know, fighting right. for those opportunities. Yeah. 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 So, so let's walk through the sort of the generations that are at play right now. The traditionalists are mostly phased out, we're saying at this point. Baby boomers kind of are, are the older generation that's in the workforce currently. What are the, let's walk through the generations. What's after that? So then the next are the Gen Xers, which is a much smaller generation. Okay. You know, if you look at the numbers, I mean, it's been changing from the ones that I generally use because there are more retiring and dying on the older yeah. end and um, more coming in on the younger end, especially since we have a lot of immigrants uh-huh. on, the, on the younger, the younger mm. end. But the Gen Xers were, uh, you know, just for relative kind of numbers, maybe about 44 million. And, and the uh, boomers, more like 77 or 78 million. And the same thing with the millennials also about the same size uh, as as the boomers, although there are probably more now because there are more of them yeah. in the workplace and um, boomers leaving. Although not, boomers are not leaving fast enough for the exit. You know? <laughs> not and as fast so as we that, thought they were going to leave. <laughs> that, that's quite, no, I mean, yeah. that's another thing is they, it's, it's a generation the boomers are much better fit and healthier than, yeah. and, and we're always looking to, to grow and learn. They're still in general and all of these generalizations, of course, but, you know, wanting to, to do more and more and a very large percentage of them don't want to be going anywhere. But I think in, I talk about this in, you can't Google it. The, one of the chapters is called um, Transition Fluidity. And what that is about is succession and, you know, how that happens and the, the competition or, you know, or sometimes resentment from the Gen Xers who want to jump into the shoes of, of the boomers and have this sort of Prince Charles syndrome of when is going to be my time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, you can understand it from their, their point of view. And I, my personal view is that anybody who is productive should be allowed to work. Yep. But you can't be in charge forever. And so we have yeah. to come up with, with role shifts for people that are still respected, you know, not feeling like a demotion or, or that others will regard it as, as a demotion, but that there's something that they can still do, feel like they're contributing and being an important part of the workplace as long as they're productive. Yeah, it's interesting that that I would I would tend to agree. I think we we work under this kind of assumption or this model that you kind of start at the bottom of the ladder and you work your way up and you you work hard and you get promotions. You kind of rise into more senior management or executive level positions and then you retire and you're out. It's like this this kind of 
ever ever increasing or ever increasing kind of uh, leadership role. Uh, and it sounds like what what you're suggesting or, or kind of contemplating here is maybe maybe this doesn't need to be a you know it's it's up 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 and then out. It's you know you you reach a pinnacle of leadership, but you're still involved in the company post post your your high point of leadership role, and you're contributing in other ways that isn't there right now. And so sort of figuring out how to create that inside companies is probably hard. <laughs> I certainly imagine it's it's hard. Yeah, I mean, there are things, you know, that people who are looked upon as elder statesmen can mm-hmm. do and contribute. We, we need people passing on knowledge. So yeah. people who can be good mentors, who can tr- train other sure. people. And so, you know, that's one thing. Uh, people who are good at um, developing business, bringing in new clients and customers. I mean, you don't want to lose those relationships yeah. when you force people out or, or at least make them feel like they're lesser than they, than they were. Uh-huh. You can lose very, very important business relationships. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Past on. So very often, you know, things have been competitive for a long time. And and from one company to another, they're all going after each other's clients and customers. And if the key relationship person leaves voluntarily or involuntarily, you know, it's like open season very often uh, on the the customers and and the clients. So you don't want to lose those relationships. It's not only the knowledge that you can put in a computer, that kind of knowledge management. Yeah. So baby boomers, Gen X, what's next? What is the next phase? So then we have the millennials. Okay. And they... uh, are actually many of them are impatient to leapfrog the the um, Gen Xers. Uh-huh. You know they're very they're very impatient to get frequent promotions. Um, they don't realize because nobody tells them very often how you know what it's like to enter the workplace. And what, so, and so what, what are they? What were the uh, generational kind of um, factors or influences, th- things that happened when those folks were going through, you know, grade school, middle school, grade school that that formulated who they are, formulated this kind of um, dynamic that they have. Well, it started there, and it happens more, more and more. As it's in the formative years, are probably a little older than the ones you mentioned, but uh-huh. it happens anytime, and. They, again, it was an optimistic time before we had the big recession. And parents were much more involved with their children. Uh And, you know, this, this whole thing, I mean, everybody was not a helicopter parent. I am a millennial. And, and I, we were not helicopter parents. Uh I believe in people being self-sufficient. But there was so much support from parents, teachers, mentors, coaches, and the whole thing and actually started from, you know, what were what were the parenting books that parents were reading. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. so there was a lot of, of that, which was very different from the boomers parents, you know, and went from Dr. Spock to um 
to Gary Basilton and in other in other ones. Yeah, there's there's probably a fascinating study in there on uh, uh, defining finding generations by what books their parents were reading around parenting. <laughs> yeah, or what to do, and then you know, and, and again, it's really important to say we don't want to be stereotyping. Some people, you know, there are socioeconomic differences yeah. where people went to school. They can, you know, the those kinds of, of conditions. So everybody didn't have that kind of support that, you know, that yeah. I was talking about. But there was there was a lot of it. And the way teaching went also, a lot of teamwork for them when the millennials were in school, even in the lower grades, much more than yeah. previous generations had had. So they expect to be working in teams and there's less autonomy and independent thinking in in that generation. You know, a lot of millennials, when they have a problem to solve or they want some information, they just put it out to their, you know, their social media and get all their their friends and connections. Yeah, crowdsource it. Yeah. To help them, you know, come up with an answer. And that is was not true of the Gen Xers. And it's not true, actually, of the Gen Zers so much, uh, who are the younger ones than the millennials. These are the ones that are just in college and graduating now and and younger yeah. of course but the older ones and they are more independent minded like doing things on their own solving their own problems they are probably much more entrepreneurial in general yeah. they started even in grade school some of them inventing apps that would solve some problem not because they thought they were going to be the next Mark um, Zuckerberg but that they had some problem and they were so used to using technology that they could do this. Yeah. So that's a different thing. And it probably was if they are more you know, independent minded and like doing things that way because their parents were Gen Xers who were more like that. So it's a big influence who your parents are and what they were, yeah. what they were like. So it's a good overview of the different generations and kind of what drives them or what uh, influences them or kind of the values that they have. So from an employer perspective, if I'm a leader in a service-based company, why is it important to know this or how does this impact you know, the performance of my teams, the performance of my company, how I manage people? Like, How do I use this information? Well, one of the things that has to be looked at is you know, we make observations, and there are a lot of observations that have been made. We'll use the example of the millennials, mm -hmm. okay? Now, they're criticized sometimes for going around in the office and having earbuds in, in their ears, and people feeling like, uh, of other generations, that they're, they're not really paying attention to them when they're, they're talking, you know, why are they doing this? Well, but they don't ask the why and what's the implications. A lot of the environments that had been recreated are these open space, you know, work environments. Yep. 
It's very distracting. Mm. Some people are walking around trying not to have to listen to other people's conversations <laughs> and trying to focus. Yeah. You know, another thing about how people are, are dressing and, and punctuality. You know, think about it. People come out of college, went to college, and if you didn't have early classes, you could come yeah. in whenever you wanted to. Yeah. If nobody told them that when you enter the workplace, there are certain hours and people care about that and they, they care about FaceTime, you know, for, for some things. But how much, so how much of that is... How much of that is just you know someone who has not you know been in the workforce yet versus a real generational thing? Is there a, is there something about the generational difference in, in terms of you know sense of time or punctuality and things like that, or is this just you know people well, that are just entering have you know have yet to learn those things? I mean, it's sort of a combination because yeah, okay. I said it's what has your life been like up to then? You've formed some habits, and if the employer, I mean, I think whether the employer likes it or not. They have more of a, an obligation to train people and to expand the kind of orientation that's always been done. It's not just filling out papers and where you're going to find supplies and uh, all that kind of thing. But but to know what are the expectations and to have conversations right up front. And I think bringing in people of all levels and... and um, generations to talk about these things together you know why why are things like this mm -hmm. what are our obligations to our clients and our customers even if you think that you're given a mundane job to begin with and you think you're very smart and you you know are impatient to to get to the challenges right away, that maybe you really need to know more. The senior people aren't going to do some of those things that they've done already. Mm -hmm. And it is important to your end customer and, you know, even if it's an internal client, that you give them what they need and they will regard that as important. Yeah. So you need to, to, to learn and get good at certain things and understand how and why they are, they are done. And if I'm, so if I'm thinking about my organization or my department or my team even, or should I be, should I be trying to kind of keep generations separate and working together? Should I be trying to mix generations within my kind of teams and my departments? I mean, what's, I guess, what, how does this impact my strategy for how I structure my organization or how I staff my organization? I think that siloing the generations is a really bad thing. Okay. That they, that they need to work together. I mean, you, you know, there's so many studies have been done about how important diversity is. And generational or age diversity is one of them. And in fact, it's the universal because everyone has an age. Yeah. And um, I, I call it the missing piece because so much focus on on diversity is on gender and uh, and ethnic and race and so mm -hmm. forth. And those things are very important. But generational attitudes really inform and influence the attitudes about attitudes and behaviors about all of the other diversity yeah. factors. So it should it should definitely be considered. 
and people need to learn about it. But you need to have people who can do the things that need to be done and that can relate to your customers and clients of other generations. Yeah. One of the problems in professional service firms is that you have the people with the strong client relationships who are decades older than a lot of the new clients in new industries that they're not as familiar with and not necessarily as comfortable with each other. So you have to have layers of this and you have to let people voice not only their their opinions, but their ideas. That doesn't mean that younger people expect to get whatever they're bringing up and you know demanding, but they do want to have a voice. And sometimes they really do have either better ideas or more familiar familiarity with the marketplace because they have friends and contacts who are in new industries that you know some of the older generations and the people who are higher up in the organization may really not have yeah. so you need you need to have them all and have them working together and that's why as i said i'm all about cross generational conversation yeah. i love doing these these workshops and cross generational conversation days and the interesting thing about it is that as soon as people are asked to get into a small mixed group of mixed by ages mm-hmm. generations and discuss issues or ideas um, that they're given, they just plunge right in and enjoy it. But we have become so divisive in so many ways, whether it's political or or just this separation that was, you know, it didn't used to be that way decades and yeah. decades. And is that the is, is that the main strategy? I mean, I mean, so so say I do that. Say I get a good generational mix in my uh, team or my department. If I if I start having what I think is or I perceive as uh, intergenerational conflict or inter- intergenerational friction, how do I address it? Like, what's the approach to you know working out some of this stuff as it comes up in, inside my company? I mean, you have to get people talking about it. Instead of backing off, retreating into tribes, you know, getting angry, you you know, know, and sometimes it does really take a person with mediation skills and all of that, which I found fascinating. I went back years later and and, uh, got that training. But, um, you know, ask them why, you know, what what is this? What don't they understand? Ask them to ask the other person why they think or do things a certain way and talk it out. Mm-hmm. And it can, it can be done, but it takes time. There's no doubt. But you're much better off when you get people to come to common understandings, even though you may not persuade another person entirely. <laughs> you yeah. know, at least, I mean, and some people are just going to dig in. But most of the time, if people have an understanding, they may say, hey, well, OK, that makes sense. I understand where you're coming from. How can we work this out? I'm just curious if there's any case where... That either it's not solvable or solving it is more 
more effort that it's worth. I mean, can you think of any any scenario inside of a company in terms of how you're structuring or organize things where sort of intentionally having a lot of cross-generational mix is maybe not a good idea or not as effective? Well, you know, it depends what your objectives are. Yeah. And as I said, this, this many studies have shown that more diverse teams are more creative and innovative. And so that's a good objective. But you also want to have a cultural fit. And that may not be generational, you know, but but people, their values and their their vision for things. But you don't want to have everybody seeing things the same way. I mean, I don't think you're going to have as much progress. But sometimes when you have to do things fast, you have to get people who are used to working together. And maybe they have been for years, you know, doing that. But it shouldn't be that way all the time. And if somebody, you know, it may really be a person conflict that has nothing to do with their their generation or their age. And some people can't work together. And then you're going to have to figure out a way to remove one of the people and replace them with someone else. But that's that's always been true. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think that I certainly have seen it where I think I think it's not uncommon for people to kind of use generational differences as an excuse or as a as a a way to kind of sweep a bunch of things under the rug which are really more mm-hmm. situational and personality conflicts right. so they, they they tend to sort of overgeneralize and say oh well they're just it's that generation and it really has very little to do with generation it has much more to do with the individuals the, the specific individuals involved in their interpersonal dynamics that's right that's yeah. right everybody is an individual yeah. and the, you know the more that we put them into little boxes <laughs> the, you know, the the more detrimental it is yeah. because people want to be looked upon as individuals. Yeah. They don't feel like they're a class, you know. Yeah. Good. Phyllis, this has been a pleasure. We're going to hit time here. If people want to find out more uh, about you, about the book, about the work that you do, what's the best place to get that information? Well, um, you can go to my website, you can't Google it.com. You can and Google that, but you the site is you can't Google you, it. <laughs> you can't. You, you can't Google uh, <laughs> the ten essential traits and skills for work that we talk about in there from the through the lenses of five different generations. But um, there, that's that. I'm on LinkedIn. No, my name on Twitter is Phyllis W. Hazaro at Phyllis W. Hazaro, and I have a cross-generational conversation group on LinkedIn, very active there. And I do want to do two things. Mm-hmm. Um, I offer a challenge to your listeners and also some free offers. Sure. So the challenge is, as we was talking about all this cross-generational conversation, to develop comfort with cross-generational conversations, select three of your colleagues or teammates or clients of mm-hmm. different generations, reach out to them with curiosity, which is one of those 10 essential skills. I think we need to um, strengthen our curiosity muscles to get to know them better 
and move the needle in your relationship. Just try it. Just see where it goes. Because what I found is people are very happy when they actually reach out. And I have a free offer for anyone who's listening. It's a free chapter from You Can't Google It, which you can find on, you can find the book on Amazon or your favorite bookstore mm-hmm. in, in print or ebook. And so you can just go to youcan'tgoogleit.com and you will find the free offer. And there are a couple of others on, on there as well. Excellent. I will make sure that all those links are in the show notes so people can click through and get all of that. Phyllis, again, it was a pleasure. Thank you for taking some time for me today. I think great conversation, I think, is a really important topic that we don't talk about enough in all companies, but certainly service-based companies where we've got a lot of people dynamics. I think this was really helpful. Let me just say one more thing. I love getting questions and stories. So if anybody wants to contact me directly, then that's pwhasero at pdcouncil.com. And I would love to hear from you. Great. I'll make sure that uh, your email address is in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for taking the time today. And thank you for inviting me. I love it. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.